0: Hey there, just wanted to let you know, there could be parts of this episode that are triggering. So I just wanted to inform you before you start listening, it is totally your choice to listen. If it gets too much, please step away and take care of yourself best as you can. And if you're someone who can listen and go back and forth and listen to it in parts, That is totally up to you. I just wanted to make sure I put the disclaimer before you go ahead and listen. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host. Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello there and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am Bianca Keisha Hughes and I am your host of the It Didn't Break Me podcast. So we are in season two of the podcast and this is episode number six. I always try to get into conversations or things that are not only interesting or or not only that people can truly relate to, of course you can relate to everything, but also the conversations that are not always shared and things that are not always talked about. And so that is why I really appreciate my guests on this podcast because they're sharing something that's very private and some people don't really want to talk about and so it's a it's a very intimate conversation and you really get a bird's eye view or a fly on the wall view of what it's like to have a child that or children shall I say that are neurodiverse and so I really do believe that you will learn a lot in this conversation as I did. So further ado, let me go ahead and introduce this week's guest. Rach is a mother of four. Her two youngest are neurodiverse with multiple labels and numerous extra challenges. As a result of surviving hell year, She has chosen to turn her personal experience and professional expertise in relationship coaching, mindset transformation and emotional healing to helping couples who have neurodiverse children like herself. These couples have the highest divorce rates. Breakup rate, and Rach knows it all too well how much she needed and leaned on her partner, and how having a solid relationship made the hardest times easier. Her mission is to significantly reduce the divorce rate so these couples and their kids can have a stable and happy home because Rach feels they are the ones that really need it the most. So, let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So, hello, Rach, and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. Now, I just want to share that I particularly love your story because, or appreciate your story because I have a friend that is in mm. a very similar position to you, and mm. um, i always encouraging her in the best way I can. So, I think I'm going to kind of learn some stuff from you too. <laughs> awesome, twenty-four. Let's start off with the most important question. What is something you thought would break you, but it didn't?
1: In short, hell yeah. (laughs) The (laughs) affectionate name we've called it. Um, Hell yeah was uh, the most challenging by far year that I have ever experienced. Both my husband and I have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And it was hell because my two youngest um, Mm -hmm. out of my four children uh, are both Autistic, my son has an intellectual disability. Both of them are nonverbal. My daughter, my youngest one, she's three and a half, and she has a lot of behavioural, we'll Mm -hmm. call them challenges. (laughs) And our son has had a lot of health challenges. And Mm -hmm. during hell year, he had significant extreme pain episodes multiple times a night, and then sometimes during the day. And in order to help him, the best thing we could do was put him in the car because it was a sensory environment for him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that meant that we could see when the pain stopped because it would get the car would get rid of the emotional distress. Mm. So literally for 12 months, my husband and I were doing two shifts. He would do the first shift generally. And the rule was, because we would drive him, the rule was when the second coffee gives out <laughs> in the middle of the night, <laughs> you had to tag the other person in. So I'd be tagged in anywhere from ooh, 11 PM, depending on how stuffed mm-hmm. he was. Um, and sometimes, I, you know, very rarely, but sometimes I'd actually get almost the entire night and not have to get out of bed, mm. but otherwise we were, I'd, I'd be up. So crawl out of bed when it was my turn, put my clothes on grab the go bag because we had a go bag, which had water in it for me and my son, snacks in it for the two of us. Because once the pain was over, he'd be awake mm. driving around in the car. This is great. Um, I put my music on or listened to podcasts. Man, I got through so many podcasts, it was great. <laughs> um, and because I'd be caffeinated, there's not much mm-hmm. point going home and laying in bed just staring at the roof. So because we lived on the coast, we would go, my son and I would go and park ourselves at the beach and we would watch the sunrise. And wow. that was part of how I tried to balance through the year. Wow. So that was every day. I was getting only a couple of hours sleep. And then if he had episodes during the day, I'd be driving him during the day because my husband was still working full time.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and then on top of that, for fun, our one to two year old daughter at the time uh, started having these massive rages. So not just, you know, you know, one to two year old tantrums. Hey, I can deal with that. I've got, you know, yeah. she's my fourth child. This is not my first <laughs> radio. Yeah. Um, but then she would have almost an autistic meltdown. She couldn't talk to us. She didn't yeah. want to look at you. Everything was too loud. Um, and then that would tip into a rage. So the rage for her, think about the, the, the times where you have been so, so angry, ridiculously rage mm. Um and she would hurt herself and if you touched mm. her to try and stop her from hurting herself she would go at me so I've got scars from the scratch marks she would try to gouge she still does this if she goes in all rage She'd gouge my eyes out rip my earrings out try to bite me try to scratch me try to punch me try to kick me try to wow. everything um and she's got no control over it yeah it I was going.
0: yeah I would no say so i'm in uh my friend Kafriya, who has a autistic child and she was on episode two of season of season one and she kind of mentions that the child if they have it they might be physically violent towards you or, or yeah. punch you or kick you and that yeah. is what happens and some people would say well why can't you just control your child i'm 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 gonna say that because I know some people say that. So totally. to the person who says that, how can you help them understand how that
1: happens? So imagine that the reg- a regular child will get angry, um, but in an autistic child with this kind of presentation, Imagine that it goes, they, they've got no way of taking the foot off the accelerator and it goes all the way. It just keeps going. They keep getting angrier and angrier and up, more upset and more upset and more. It just keeps going. Um, and, I mean, like I said, I've got four children and she is the only one that has ever been this far gone in mm-hmm. terms of her level she's a tiny little body with really big intense emotions Mm. way more intense than the average child um and if you think about the times where you know when you've gotten so angry you know how how well when it was intense like ridiculously Mm -hmm. intense for you how well were you able to control and go you know what I'm just going to calm down in this second now (laughs) I'm just gonna I'm going to speak to you like a normal person even though inside I want to rip your goddamn eyes out (laughs) you know um It's really hard to control as an adult, Mm -hmm. let alone a child who has absolutely no skills, no tools, no knowledge and no ability Mm. to control the intenseness of what they're feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a great way of um, explaining that I don't have children, but I have a lot of nieces and I know I'll probably get my sister's nose, but I I do come from that respect and even me when I talk to them and they don't have anything um any autism or anything like that and I'm like you know I have to shift my expectation like yeah that I love what you said they don't have any tools or any resources they haven't lived on this earth long enough so I even have to check
1: myself with my expectation like
0: yeah chill out you do the same thing
1: (laughs) and also to remember that we where somewhere around about the seven eight year old mark is when the conscious mind starts to kick in. Mm-hmm. So below that point, they are operating purely subconsciously, with no part of their brain that goes, "Oh, wait a second, let me just think about that." Mm. <laughs> that doesn't mm. exist
0: mm-hmm. so
1: it's beautiful like with babies you know they, they they'll cry because they're sad but there's no manipulation because they don't even have that part of their brain that can do that part of the rationalizing or thinking yeah so when they're happy they're happy when they're sad they're sad and that can change in an instant yeah so, so up until seven eight that's the case
0: yeah exactly so tell us about some of the feelings and thoughts you're experiencing and I'm particularly um Curious about the thoughts that some people might be afraid to say out loud if they yeah. have, especially if they have special needs kids. And the yeah. reason why I'm asking if you don't mind sharing is because I want people to know they're not alone.
1: Yeah, look, there a thousand thoughts. There were definitely days where I'm like, what what did I do? What did mm. I do? And and that's not necessarily a, a what did I do to deserve this? It's what did I do that caused this problem in my child and the guilt and the shame that can sometimes come with that thought? You mm. start to over-analyze. Well, did I, was there something I missed in the pregnancy? Is there, you know, is it a genetic thing? Did it come from my side of the family? Is the, am I the reason they're like this? Mm. You know, some of that plays out. Um, there's certainly plenty of people that, you know, what did I do to deserve this? That comes out for me, you know, in the worst of it. On, on the really bad days. And I'm thinking of a particular time and it wasn't the first time, but it was the one that was most significant to me. This had been going on for nearly 12 months. This was just before we found the solutions for our kids. Um, and we were beyond Look, burnout doesn't even cover it. We were a family in crisis mode. And not only that, we were at my mum's for Christmas. So we had three teams of people driving our son around and we were all, the, everybody in the entire house mm. was burnt out and they'd only been doing it for a few weeks. We'd been doing it for 12 months. Mm. And I was driving around again with my son in the car and I had a thought that maybe I could just drive him and I into the ocean. Because mm. that would save the rest of my family from this groundhog day torture. Mm. And it would stop him from being in pain. And that maybe my husband could live on a happy life.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I I that's hard. Take a moment. Yeah.
1: But it was to the, the, at the core of it, it was to save everybody else mm. and to stop my pain but also my, my son's pain because we we're watching him go through it night after night day after day For 12 mm. months this kid was in excruciating pain and we had to go almost numb to his cries mm. I mean this kid permanently had bruises on his forehead because he would bang his head to get all the way to the car because he was in pain he would bang his head so hard that he had bruises on it all the time He had bite marks and bruises on his arms because he would bite his arms to try and get the pain to go away. His fingers are still calloused because he would chew on his fingers. We had dents in the back of our car because he would bang it so hard.
0: Mm. And so it makes so much sense because I've often heard people who have contemplated um, suicide and when people talk about it is they it wasn't so much they wanted to go it was like they wanted the situation to go away and that was the only thing that they could think of in that in that moment to be like okay this is what we can do to make the situation go away
1: yeah because we had tried everything we'd been in and out of hospitals we had been seeing multiple pediatricians and we go to the hospital and by the time they'd see him the pain had stopped and of course it wasn't appendicitis so it was nothing that they could do surgery about and so they were just, okay, well, wait till you see your next pediatrician, like next pediatrician appointment, which is like three, six months down the track. So we were like, okay, well we'll work on gut health. We'll work on trying to help him, um, you know, do things to try and help the pain, just change his diet again. He was already gluten-free, dairy-free, low-carb, no-fruit, chemical-free. <laughs> like, what else can I take out of this kid's diet? I mean, God. um, Yeah, I mean, it turned out what had happened when he's had a, had an ear infection. Now, his kid's always had some gut pain and problems since he was born. Um, but he had an ear infection, his first one ever. And I've just known instinctively for him, he's he's needed as most natural interventions as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did for a long time. Anyway, because he was in so much pain and his ear infection was so bad, the protocol that I'd started him on wasn't wasn't working fast enough. And he was up every night screaming in pain i had my my mum, god lover best of intentions in my ear going oh you really should put him on antibiotics you put him put mm. on antibiotics and of course then my husband was starting to think well maybe we should so i had the two of them in my my mm. head in my ear I'm like oh, okay maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong so he had three doses out of the antibiotics and he and he, he got worse <gasps> and i just knew i just knew take him off the antibiotics and then i beefed up my natural protocol and then I was taking him back to the doctors every week to check that his ears were getting better because he was not, mm. the pain was not going away. And within four weeks, the ears were completely clear, but he was still waking up in the middle of the night, screaming and banging his head. So I'm like, okay, well maybe it's, now we need to go back to gut stuff. Now I need to rebuild his gut. So, you know, it's going to take time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we let, you know, three months we were doing it. And then we were seeing, waiting to see the pediatrician again. And then this is what it started. It just didn't get any better. So eventually we moved at the time. We're living in New South Wales and we now live in Queensland and we knew we weren't moving to Queensland. So I had started to get new paediatricians and stuff up here, but it takes, you know, three, Mm -hmm. six months to get those appointments. So I did it early. Um, And knowing that we were going to move in with my mum, who was kind of halfway from where we were to Queensland, just for that period over Christmas. And then we were planning to be up in Queensland to start school year, which starts at the end of January. It's not how it worked out, but... um, (laughs) So we, we ended up at mum's place and we had three different appointments that run right Queensland. in um, Queensland that we had to drive from New South Wales to Queensland for when we started with a, we got a neurology appointment because I thought, well, I don't even know if it's in his head or in his gut because he can't tell us.
0: Mm-hmm. And when he
1: goes into pain, he does the same thing. He bangs his head, he bites his arms, he bucks himself. Um, he doesn't know, he can't tell us. Mm-hmm. Oh, my pain is here because he's absolutely nonverbal. Yeah. He's five and a half and he's got the expressive and understanding or receptive language of a six to 12-month-old. Okay. We actually don't know his level of intelligence because he won't even engage in tests. Okay. I digress. So in the process of getting new therapists and um, specialists up in Queensland, we finally got a place. So in that process, I was trying to find a home. We were going through all of this. Like the stress Mm. was way off the chart. And so we were meant to move at the end of January. It wasn't until sometime in February that I got the house, but it was going to be six weeks. So we couldn't even move until the 19th of March.
0: Mm.
1: And in my head, I'm like, okay, we've got the place. I am not starting in a new place with another Groundhog Day existence. It's not happening. I'm not doing it. Um, so as we saw the specialists up in Queensland, The neurologist was the one to say, well, if things get worse, go to Queensland Children's Hospital. They're really well equipped. They'll put a team of people onto him and work out what's going on. So I'm like, okay. In my head, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't, yeah, it it could have been worse. It was worse at certain points. So in my head, it wasn't that bad. And we had a, a new pediatrician appointment. So I thought I could wait till that. So we drive up for that. Mind you, we'd just gotten out of hospital for three days before because we thought he had um, fecal impaction.
0: Mm. So they
1: tried to treat that. That's a whole other level of trauma. I'm not even going to go into that, but it was horrible anyway. So they released us so we could go up to the pediatrician appointment the next day. I don't remember much of what it was said. She asked a lot of questions. I gave her the whole story. Um, everything that we'd done, everything that had been happening. Um, and she had asked about FODMAP foods. And I'm like, well, he doesn't have any garlic and he doesn't have any onion. Cause I didn't clearly know a whole lot about it. And she's like, oh, Okay anyway I don't remember us coming out of that with an actual plan or something moving Mm -hmm. forward it was like we'll try these few things so I kind of left feeling quite deflated I remember that part I don't remember what she said I just remember feeling deflated like oh we still don't have an answer so we drive back to New South Wales Mm. even more ridiculously tired now it was only about maybe less than a week later and he was having another really bad day and I'm like I can't I can't do this. Mm. And this was very close to about that same time that I was like, maybe we just need to go into the water. Yeah. I actually, I had at least enough rational space. I think I must've talked to my sister who wasn't there. She was in Melbourne on the phone, on the way back when I'd had that thought and I told her and was just losing it anyway, between there and when I got home, she'd already called my mother and said, right, this is where she's at. Um, okay, oh. And I kind of, I kind of knew that would happen. Yeah. So there was a part of me that clearly was like, I need help. I need yeah. help now. So I walk in the door. Mum tells me that she's spoken. She hands me these tablets. She's like, here, take these. I didn't even question. It was an antidepressant. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't care. She's like, here to help me make you feel better and help you just get over this. So just to yeah. be able to cope I'm like oh, whatever at this point, you could could have given me a whole handful of pills. I would have taken them. Yeah. Anyway, um, so in the back of my head, I'm like, remembered what the neurologist said. If things get really bad, go to Queensland Children's. So I just, at the end of the day, I'm like, I just, let's just do that. It's a gamble because every other hospital had turned us away because he was no longer in crisis by the time they saw him. Um, but I'm, I was just at the end of my, just at the end of the road. that
0: man? Yeah.
1: I'm like, I've got to do something. So I talked to mum and I said, look, I think we need to do this. I said, but it's a gamble. We could get there five and a half hour drive and they could turn us away. Wow. Five and a half hours. Uh-huh, to get to that hospital. Um, I rang the pediatrician to see if they could refer us in. So we would definitely get in there. But she said they can't because we were living in New South Wales at the time. And you have to be living in Queensland in order to be referred in. She said, but if you turn up to emergency, then you know, they'll have to bring you in. If you need to be admitted, they'll have to admit you. But that was the gamble because they hadn't admitted us before without us having some kind of referral in with a problem that they could solve. So my husband stayed because we'd had too many, he had too much time off work just doing the trips up. Yeah. So mum and I went with Jax. We landed at the hospital. It was like 7.30 on a Monday night, like Mm -hmm. tired as. And right on cue as we get into the, you know, just into the first part, he has a meltdown. So they get our information real quick and usher us out the back straight away. I'm like, dude, awesome!
0: Great. (laughs) (laughs) This is the one time you actually were happy that you had a meltdown. (laughs) Yep.
1: Go for it, buddy. Go for broke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. So we get out the back, and um, and the first sort of nurse starts to ask questions, and then she kind like I start to tell her what's going on, just like the snippets, and she goes, right, hold on, and gets the doctor. The doctor comes in and she goes, right, tell me everything from the second he was born to now, his Mm. entire medical history. I want to know what's really been going on. Mum and I lost it. They were the first people that wanted to know, Mm. that actually listened to me. And she said even though he's not got an acute problem, like he's not got appendicitis or the other stuff they would normally admit kids for. She said, you guys can't live like this anymore. You shouldn't have had to live like this for so long. Mm. She said, we're going to admit you and we're going to put a team of people onto him and find out what's going on. And he's not leaving until we have a solution. <sighs>
0: It really makes me think about the power of listening.
1: you have got no idea. Just to be heard because I had so many doctors and specialists, even a paediatrician who said, oh, I think he's, you know, this waking mm-hmm. up, screaming, crying, wanting to go to the car as a behavioural thing. Wow. <laughs> um, so. No.
0: You I you not <laughs> Wow. Oof. And it must have been so relieving as well. Like, it's, it's, wow. And and, oh I, and man, I,
1: heavens opened up, hallelujah, you singing <laughs> away.
0: But I guess, and, in a way, you didn't even know that's what you needed. Like, sometimes wow. someone brings us something, you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed that. But it's like, you needed someone to say, okay, yep. from the nurse to the doctor and giving you that space and you didn't yep. even know that.
1: Wow. I'd been fighting for my boy. 12 months to get answers to get solutions wow, to get a solution to his pain
0: and so, I kept getting
1: met with people going oh we'll try this and try that and and oh it's behavioral oh it's because of his autism I'm like no it's not I know he's in pain I know he's going to that car because he's in pain I'm like I bet you you solve his pain he will not go to that car yeah and in the end guess what I was right so
0: what how did they solve the pain what did they discover okay
1: so in the process, so the, the pediatrician that we had seen that couldn't refer us in, it clearly had been ro- running around in her head. And so we got into hospital and they started, they, the first two nights they saw exactly what we're seeing or we're seeing. And she emailed me, so it must have been the second day, got an email from her and she was saying that, look, I really think FODMAP foods are a problem. Because he's got a bunch of high FODMAP foods in his diet, and if he's got a sensitive tummy, then this this is Mm. what it does. Can Um, you
0: define? What do you call that? FODMAP.
1: FODMAP. So F O D M A P. (laughs) Okay. And what does that mean? (laughs) Right. Um, It's a. I I can't remember the because that's the acronym okay oh okay okay but basically it it occurs in in natural foods so as an example at the time he was having because he was gluten-free dairy-free he was having (laughs) almond meal based muffins okay well almond meal is a high FODMAP food Uh... in his meatballs which I was hiding a lot of vegetables cauliflower asparagus um I can't remember I had like two or three other vegetables all high FODMAP. So what happens for people who are sensitive to FODMAP and not garlic and onion, but I wasn't putting those in his, his food. Um, And tomato, I think is another one. Anyway, uh, they literally ferment in the digestive tract, Mm. causing excruciating, like excruciating, the worst wind pain you have ever, ever felt. Yeah, I have multiple episodes of that every night. I mean, we were spending up to eighty percent of the twenty-four hour day in the car because this poor kid, who has a high pain threshold, yeah, was in pain. Wow. And he just, I, I just, I can't. It just.
0: Wow. So you discover this. How soon after yeah. changing his diet did it change?
1: Less than 48 hours he slept. No. I had a friend up there um, because we hadn't moved up here yet. I had a friend. I rang him. I said, look, can you please find me this kind of bread? And can you make me some meatballs that only have these vegetables in it? Him and his daughter did that for me and brought it into the hospital. And then that's all he ate. Meatballs. Two days. And the new toast with... Um, I can't remember what we put on it at the time, but it was low uh, FODMAP. And within, it was like 36 hours, he slept. And we thought, okay, he slept. He slept for one night before, we'll see. And then he slept for the second night. Well, like, mm, not ready to say hallelujah yet. Third night. Wow. Are you kidding me? Seriously? So we were still in the hospital. Um, he, they did an MRI, even though he was sleeping, they thought well, we're going to check everything anyway because we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we feel comfortable
0: mm-hmm. that we have
1: solved the problem before you guys have released. So they did an MRI, which I was happy because I'm thinking this kid has banged his head. Like if, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not be surprised that there is some brain damage mm-hmm. in there. Um, thankfully, no, he was good. Um, they also used that as an opportunity to do a whole bunch of blood tests because there's no way like getting a blood test out of him in any regular way is just not happening. Um so they used that opportunity to do as many tests as they possibly could because they had to put mm-hmm. him out under a general to do the MRI. And then because we kind of solved it, he stopped getting the pains. We didn't need to see the gastroenterologist, mm-hmm. um, but they put us in the the system so that we were, had access to it and if everything anything ever changed, we could go back in there. Uh, that's That solved the problem was changing those foods. So what had happened was when he had the antibiotics, his tummy was already sensitive. Okay that just changed his gut biome, which then made it more sensitive. So then because he was having FODMAP foods. Got it. It just continued to make it worse. So basically we had, I did a, a, um, one of those stool sample tests yeah. for the gut biome at one point because I'm like, I've just got to do something. And in it, it showed there was blood in the stools and mm. there was mucus. So the entire digestive tract was so inflamed mm. that it was bleeding
0: Wow. And it was
1: correct. Like his poop was cake batter, like cake batter. It was not runny runny, but it was not, it certainly was not a formed stool. Um, It was cake batter all the time. Because of that. All the time.
0: Wow. So
1: your son's batter and then your daughter. Wow, yes. So while we're 80% of the time in the car towards the end, I was under her trying to get her through a rage that would last anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours each time three to four times a day. That was my life. Mm. Not not sleeping, living on coffees all day. And I'm not a coffee drink. I was not a coffee drinker. I still don't <laughs> like the taste of coffee. I hate the taste of coffee. But it was a necessity because it was literally keeping me alive at night. So yeah, that was that was that was life. And it was day in, day out, getting her through a rage, getting in the car and driving him around and just literally survive like the deepest depths of survival mode so my husband and I were literally not sleeping in the same bed at the same time yeah we as you on a relationship level as you start to get into survival mode individually you stop doing the little things yeah you stop having any awareness of the other person even asking oh how are you means you've got to have awareness outside yeah. of what's the next most like what's the absolute next thing I have to do because if I don't have to do anything, I'm sitting right here. So let me ask you something. You guys are still
0: together. Yeah. How come? Because for some, (laughs) some people would not have survived. And the reality is a um, lot of
1: couples who have special needs kids don't. We have one of the highest breakup divorce rates of any kind of couple.
0: So what do you think it was for you two? Yep.
1: So we've been together in December of this year, 22 years. (laughs) Um, We had a really strong relationship before the Littles came along. Okay. I say Littles because our two oldest are 24 and nearly 18. So 24, 18, five and a half and three. We're back in our 40s for just one. (laughs) Um, but this was not on the plan clearly this was not on the plan we thought yeah we'll go back for a boy and life will be fantastic and (laughs) life came with a whole bucket of I don't even know what to call this (laughs) um so I think because we had such a strong relationship coming into this and then into hell year Mm -hmm. um and because also I'm a I, I was a relationship coach I'm a I've got a lot of tools. I've got a lot of knowledge. I've got a lot of personal awareness. Um, but even in the depths of that, I still wasn't reaching for my tools because I was so far in survival mode and I could see that within myself. Yeah. Um, but I had enough, enough awareness that, you know, we would hit the road bumps and every so often we'd have to have a a come to Jesus conversation. Um, and realizing in that, that when I was saying to him, you know, you're so distant, you're not, you're not connecting You, you. Where are you? Like, and he'd say to me, well, you're doing the same. I'm like, you're right. Mm. I'm sorry. So then I would say, well, what can we do? What little things can I do that just mm-hmm. help you to feel like I'm here? And then he would, we would do the same thing. So then for a while, we would do those little things, simple stuff, which we had to really consciously think about because it wasn't natural or easy when you're in a survival pattern of yeah. Okay, now I need to change that but Now this kid needs a bottle. Now that one. And you're just, what's the next thing? I absolutely have to do oh, nothing. I I need to sleep because I can't even function. Yeah. It got so bad for me, like the burnout got so bad that, and I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced this, and it might be, I'm just discovering I've got ADHD, so it might be what happens to my brain. Um, you know how sometimes when you get overtired, you lose a word? the word just doesn't come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the next stage of that is you lose sentences. Oh, wow. The next stage of that is you lose everything. There's just no words that come into your head to even come out your mouth. It just doesn't, just doesn't.
0: And you got to that stage. So?
1: The stage beyond that is that what? you lose the ability to understand what people are saying to you. <gasps> it's like the brain just shuts down completely. Wow. I would, there were a number of times where I'd be standing in the kitchen tears streaming down my face because I can't speak. And now I can't understand what they're saying to me, which is when my husband would tweak to what's going on. He's like, right, can you take care of the baby? You do this and go to bed. Just go to bed. Yeah,
0: because it's like you were so sleep deprived. Not only were you doing all this stuff, you're the mom, you're connected to the kids and then you're sleep deprived. So now it's like your brain goes into survival
1: mode to protect itself in that way oh my gosh but on top of that having a disassociative episodes apparently that's what they're called yeah Um, I'd be driving along because I was driving at stupid hours all hours of the day and I just in my mind I would see me grab the steering wheel and drive into oncoming traffic or off a bridge or into a yeah no desire to do it but it started to scare me because I'm like well how long until my brain just makes my hand do it yeah wow Um, so yeah
0: so your husband, of says, what kind of help did you personally get? What kind of support did you get to kind of, yep. you know, deal with that
1: burnout? A few things. Um, I was lucky enough that I've, you know, being a coach, I've got a lot of friends who are coaches in my network. <laughs> God, I love them. Um, so I would talk to them. I wouldn't necessarily reach out and say, hey, I'm struggling. It would be they would call me or something and then I would go, this is what's happening and they'd be like, are you okay? No, <laughs> mm. no, um, and, but they would just listen to me and talk to me and um, there were people that offered um, support in terms of, okay, well, how about we just get on a call half an hour every week and or an hour and I'll just talk you through relaxing your body because I wasn't doing it. I was mm. in a survival pattern of doing everything I needed to do and if I wasn't doing something, I was in shutdown mode. It wasn't, and now I know, my brain never stops, so I never really shut down. Um, but I'd have someone talk me through, like, shit like, relaxing my body, relaxing my mind. Because I was listening to them, I could focus on them and I could actually do that. And my body would actually relax. And it might only be an hour a week that it does that.
0: Wow.
1: Um, I had, thankfully, here in Australia, um, both children well, at the time it was just my son, had an NDIS package, which is a disability package, Um, and I had fought so hard the year before because we had another six-month stint of no sleep. The 12 months was the worst, but we've had them before. Um, And because my back was so bad after having the little one that I wasn't able to lift the two kids and I was running the risk of actually doing something permanent. Um, So I fought to get funding to have help in the house. Oh, Okay. So I stretched it out. I had a young girl who came during the day. So while I was driving Jack's around in the car, she would take care of Corey. Um, So I wasn't necessarily getting able to just hand the two children over and go to bed, Mm -hmm. Um, although she would take them both to the park every so often and I would get like an hour or two to just sleep or rest or whatever. But I was, you know, I was responsible for taking both the kids to their relevant appointments, which there was still a lot of. Um, and then just stuff during the house, doing the house stuff. So I had her for most of the year, and thank God, because if I didn't, I would have ended up in hospital, like something really no. bad would have happened. Um, then, So this was the first year of the pandemic, so we didn't even care about the pandemic. We're like, uh, look, whatever's going on in the world, don't freaking care because right now we're in massive survival. But the pandemic actually did help us because we got, um, my husband got to work from home okay everybody got sent home to work from home and at the time he was at an hour 45 commute in one direction so he was gone mm. for 12 hours of the day so i'd be on my own with you know some help during the day but not at the two ends um for a punch there but then he was able to work from home for about eight months which was great um he'd be able to roll out of bed at seven twenty-five and get on the computer at seven thirty after having maybe only three or four hours sleep mm. and do the work wow so and then my aunt came to visit, she came to help. in a, So this started in about March and she turned up around May, I think. So it had been going on for a few months. Um, she didn't have the the physicality to help with everything. Because mm-hmm. she was, you know much older, 70-something 70, 70 now. Anyway, yeah. but she helped out by doing the washing. She helped with the dishes. Um, she would get my go bag ready so that I didn't have to think about it. Um, And she helped out with, with Corey and played with her and stuff during the day. So there was that we had her, she was only going to come for two weeks, which, you know, then went to a month and because she lived in Victoria, which got major shutdown. I don't know if you guys remember, but Victoria was literally cast out like steel gates at the beginning of the border. Like nobody was Mm -hmm. getting in and nobody was getting out. They weren't even going anywhere for months. They had the, the most stringent lockdowns of the entire wow. Australia continent. Anyway, so she decided, well, I might as well just hang out here because at least I can stay in <laughs> a house with people. <laughs> if she went home, she'd been home by herself and it, and um, her cat had passed away just before she came up, so she would have been lonely. Oh. Anyway, she ended up staying till Christmas. Cool. That was nice. So that helped. So even though she couldn't do the driving um, and the nighttime load, um, just having – another person in the house that could take some of the daytime load um, helped. So I was extremely fortunate and I'm sure God set it up to, you know, to make sure that we could survive the year because I think without it, we wouldn't have. Um, And it was, it was hard enough as it was. So we were lucky enough to get that. Um, And then I had my friends who would support me and other people that, you know, like I I went and saw a, a naturopath and, you know, she found out what the story was and she's like, right, let me see your son for free. You know, I had a number of people that offered services and and supports for free um, to help him because helping him would have helped us. Yeah. Um, And we were a family that was literally in crisis and um, there were a lot of supports we couldn't get from the government because I couldn't work. I was lucky enough that through COVID I was able to get a payment, but that ended at the end of the year. So coming into the next year, even once we got solutions, I was so burnt out, like ridiculously burnt out. I couldn't work. (laughs) I couldn't work. I just couldn't I couldn't anything I couldn't <laughs> so where are you today Rach where are you so here we are what are we 18 months later mm-hmm okay um, we finally found solutions for our daughter turned out salicylates and amines which naturally occur in foods send her trouble <laughs> oh my gosh yep so now they've both got two completely different diets Mm-hmm. and when she does have foods like that, we end up with more meltdowns and rages, and I think she's got a, a touch of ODD, PDA going on in the mix in there, probably ADHD on top of ASD. <laughs> it's just alphabet soup over here. But, um, but once we – it was a dietitian that we found up here who suggested that maybe that might be the problem, and she goes, you know, just wean her off it. I'm like, hell no. If that's mm. the problem, they're out. Yeah. <laughs> they were gone. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that she would eat, like vegetables and stuff, are all – now off the list. So she, the only safe fruit for her is a peeled pear. Wow. And this kid would eat fruit, all kinds of fruit if she could. Hmm. So now she eats rice and potato chips. Wow. And sometimes if, if she feels like it, she'll have some yogurt. And sometimes if we can get it into her, she'll have pasta. Wow, um, and maybe a little bit of chicken here and there. Maybe once a week she'll have a mouthful of chicken. So we've got all kinds of stuff going on with the diet. Wow! And how oh are
0: you? God. How are you yep. and your
1: husband? Where are you guys today? Yeah. So after we we finally got the kids sorted and sleep was happening in the house again. Hallelujah! Sleep. <laughs> oh my god! Um, and even now, when the bed when stuff is a little bit rough, we still go. well, it's not hell, you. Um, So we we had to get, we had to rebuild our relationship because during that time, it actually did take quite a hit. Mm -hmm. And what people don't realize is when you get into a pattern of survival, when the reason for the survival is gone, you're -hmm. still in a pattern of survival. Mm -hmm. You're still not consciously necessarily thinking of the other person. You're still acting as if what, what, what is the next thing I have to do. You could, you've you totally forgotten and gotten out of the habit of doing things like touching them on the shoulder when you walk past them or giving them a random hug or a swooping them up and giving them a passionate kiss in the kitchen. You know, all of that stuff stopped. And, of course, the big stuff wasn't happening. There was no date nights. There was no sex. There was no, you know, any of that all stopped. Um, so we had to remind ourselves to do the little things again and so then to, to be build up cons- the big things.
0: So it was like being intentional and conscious. It was like, almost as like your brain was here. And so now we have, to, have retrain, to retrain, retrain your brain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Retrain our brain um, to remember the other person. Like you you stop checking in and going, well, how are you doing? Because you're so much in your own stuff going, I'm not even coping. I can't even, that you're not thinking about the other person. It's not yeah. on purpose. It's just, that's what happens when you go into survival. So he wasn't yeah. thinking about me and I'm over here going, he's not thinking about me. But knowing full well that I'm not thinking about him either, not yeah. <laughs> but, but in that moment, you don't necessarily have the rational yeah. capacity to remember that that's the case. It's just he's not here. Where is yeah. he? Even though he's physically in the environment, he's he's checked out. Well, he's in zombie mode, just like I'm in zombie mode. Everybody's in zombie mode, and we just had to remember that sometimes and go, "Well, this is what's happening for me too." I'm like, "Oh, that's right." I'm sorry, you know, and just appreciation mm. sometimes just saying to the other person thank you so much for doing X, Y, Z, even if it was something they were doing every day. Um, You know, he would say to me, you know, thank you so much for being so, you know, taking care of the kids Mm -hmm. all day because I know it's hard. You know, thank you so much for doing the second shift when I can't do it anymore because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, just thanks so much for being in this boat of life with me because, you know, it's hard on both of us, but we're in it together. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, just saying those things, even if it's not, I love you, you're the best person in the world and, oh, my God, you're just sexy and you, you know, that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> when you can't say that stuff, just saying, I'm, thank God you're here, like I'm so glad you're with me. As hard as this is on both of us, I'm just glad you're here. Wow, um, the gratitude, the power of gratitude. The power of yeah. gratitude, the power of appreciation because mm-hmm. for him just doing the same thing over and over again, Groundhog Day was, it, and I could see it was soul-crushing for him. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at someone you love and you can see how disconnected they are,
0: yeah. it
1: adds to that feeling, of, I'm, I'm so sorry.
0: Wow. You
1: almost take on the responsibility, particularly mums, I think take on the responsibility yeah. because we're the ones that are watching everybody in the house. So I'm watching him go down. I'm like, right, he needs time out. So then I'm calling on the teenager going, I need you into the mix because I need dad to be out of the mix. And we are literally, that was how I was managing crisis level yeah who's going to fall off the edge next right you're out for a little bit but then that brings everybody else to the edge of crisis because now we're taking over the load and it was just like that i would manage everybody in that way because i could see where everybody was at
0: so what would you say to the person wondering kind of going through something similar they have a special needs child or children and they feel like they're going through hell Mm -hmm. what would you say to them to help them
1: go through it Um, Well, particularly with a relationship, like I was just saying, it's the littlest things. If you can even put a post-it note or a reminder on your phone to just go and appreciate your partner. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I know this is hard. Even just asking, like, how are you really doing right now? Giving the other person an opportunity to go, is this fucking hard? I hate this. Um, Whatever it is. Or, you know, just gives them an opportunity to vent, which gets releases some of the pressure, just to be heard to validate the other person and say, yeah, this is hard. And I know this is hard for you. It doesn't take much, but it, ta- it has such a profound bonding effect. Um, but also just helps you to feel better so you can cope for a bit longer. Cause that's really what it is at that point is what can I do? Just help me keep going a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And that's one because it's a both me and him relationship thing, but it also gives me an opportunity to, oh, this is what's happening. otherwise we carry it around that's a huge one um get any support you possibly can friends family government local organizations i know it's hard and it was hard for me in the time um to to make that step to to not just ask for it i found Mm -hmm. that incredibly difficult um but also to try and find organizations that might be able to help in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. um you are knocking on doors that you may not be able to open, but you might find that one or two things that just make the biggest difference. Like if your friends say, how can I help? Look, can you help by cleaning up this area of my house? Because I just can't get to it. Could you come mm. over and just do the washing for me? Could you just cook us a food, some food, like, you know, wherever possible tap into your friends or ask a friend, you know, to think for you because it really gets hard to think about. Cause sometimes people will go, well, what do you need? I don't know. I don't know would be the answer because it's too much to think about um so as a friend on the outside seeing someone that's in this situation they won't know necessarily what to ask for but if you can go hey i'm here how about i clean up for you hmm. how about so- i make you a meal okay how that's gonna I- be
0: my next question what do you do on the other side
1: yeah, yeah. and what
0: Absolutely. if you can't get to them physically what can okay so if you've got
1: if you've got any financial resources that you can access you could pay for a cleaner you could pay Mm. for meals to be sent over um if you've got someone that you know that's in the local area that you could reach out to and say hey i can't get there but would you be willing to just go over and and spend three hours cleaning their house on a saturday morning like what could you arrange for them so they don't have to think about it but they can get the help um maybe from where you are you can do the the part that's knocking on the doors and trying to find the extra supports for them because that is a huge mental and physical load more when you're so depleted that feels like mount everest just trying to find help feels like mount everest
0: okay all right well thank you so 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 much um i have one one or two last questions um I was on your website and um, I'm going to read this thing that you say at the end and you say with such a long list of professional and expertise and experience, she has a Mary Poppins (laughs) bag of solutions (laughs) that the average coach doesn't think of and she can see things others can't, particularly because she intimately understands the world and struggles of being a parent to special needs kids. So she just she doesn't just think outside the box. She lives outside it and naps when she can. And so my question is what's one of the unique unique things that you can see that others can't and then one way in what it looks like to live outside the box.
1: Okay. Let me start with the first question and remind me the second one if I forget. Um I can in particular, like I do a lot of relationship coaching. Um, I can often, when I'm listening to both partners and I, it's like they're pointing the finger at each other and they're saying, well, he doesn't listen or she doesn't that, but I can hear both sides of the story and I can very quickly understand and translate what the other one's actually trying to say. Mm. I hear and see subtext. So when she says he's not doing underneath that why is that a problem because it's a question Mm -hmm. I ask because he's not connecting with me so it's not that he's not doing this thing or he said that thing it's like she's feeling disconnected and he's not showing up or not feeling loved or there's a rejection or abandonment stuff going on so I see her stuff playing out but I can see how it's triggering his stuff and what his stuff is so I can yeah you can and I have a lot of compassion because when I'm listening. I've got a beautiful friend at the moment who's going through his stuff and she'll go, but, but this is what he said. And this is what he's doing. I'm like, honey, yes, that's what he's doing. And he's also struggling with this, this, and this, which is why he's pulling back and trying to give himself space. And it's not what you think's going on because that's your stuff. Yeah. Like, oh. I love so that. I can see the bigger picture and the dynamics and the subtext between people, whether okay. it's relationships, like a, a partnership or friendships, it doesn't matter. I can often see both sides of the story. Even in my own relationship, I can see when my stuff's drinking, I'm like, oh, that's mine. And when I'm listening to him, I'm like, yeah, that's not necessarily the truth. <laughs> so I can see the bigger picture and the stuff and how it all plays out.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Seeing the big picture and understanding the subcontext. And then the other question was, what is one way that you live outside the box? Not just think, you said not just think, but you live. What's
1: one way? I have often taken the road less traveled um so i don't so i'm an entrepreneur so i don't do the work thing the same way that people do the work thing um our relationship if i can be so honest and this is this is going to trigger some people um so we started off with us fully monogamous and then we went into an open relationship and explored all kinds Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. um and then decided we'd bring our relationship back to just us and then we decided to add to our family and then we've ended up as with special needs children so you know our relationship has okay. done all kinds of things um so we've we've lived outside the box and um done a lot of things that the the regular person just wouldn't even entertain or can't or has judgments against uh so i'm constantly doing and thinking and living in different ways because i'm curious what does that look like how does that yeah. feel like and i love having conversations with people where they've got a completely different experience of life i'm like oh tell me about that i want to understand yeah. that it helps me to understand people in the world a bit better, but also to, it might be something in the conversation where like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I'd love to try that. That sounds great. Let's give that a go. My poor husband, (laughs) I think that's part of my ADHD, is like, yeah, (laughs) risk-taker. Whereas my husband is the, you know, plot along consistent. I mean, he's been in the same job as long as I've known him, but he's worked for two different companies. I I won't even list how many people, different companies (laughs) I've worked for and how many jobs I've done and how many different parts of coaching I've done. Yeah, that so happens. I'm the one that I'm yeah. the one that takes us out into new places and new worlds, like moving around Australia. Um, and he's the one that goes when I go, right? Let's do this. He's like, okay. Oh.
0: <laughs> so, um, the question I always like to ask guests is, "What is something messy in your life today?" It could be just something. Really- <laughs> really what? tiny like oh
1: no my entire life's messy or am I, well that's fine it doesn't have to it's just something real quick that's messy yeah so. um I mean right now I'm I'm about I'm just at the beginning of my journey of an ADHD diagnosis and it would make complete sense if this was the case um so for me right now Mm -hmm. my life feels very messy because I've got such a load with the kids and then I'm trying to build a business and I'm working with other people and I'm doing all of this other stuff in the background. So, um, for me, chaos messy is like it's all of it. Okay. Cool.
0: So how can people shower you with love? Where can they find you to connect and shower you with love?
1: Um, I mean, they can go through my website, but they can also find me on Facebook um, yes, I've got some business profiles, but, um, on Facebook, if you look for profile name is Rach Wilson, 76, okay, cause that's how old I am. If you do the math, <laughs> um, but send me a message, like, don't just friend request me because I'll look at your profile. And if it's not, if there's something in the profile, cause I look at it from a business front and who I want to connect with now, where I'm at, and if it's not what I want to connect with, then I don't take, take it on. But if there are people wanting to connect with me, send me a message and to say, okay. hey, I found you know, heard you on the show, would love to connect. Great. Come on in. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Love Great it. Great to find me. And I'll put that information in the show notes as well. Um, and it has been a pleasure having you on Thank the Thank you so much for having me. I it's really do. You have an amazing story, Rach. And I'm I am so, I mean, I already know one person that's going to help. Like I said, my friend, um Kofria but I know this is going to help so many parents um, go through the same thing.
1: So thank you. I think the, the one thing I just want to pass on at the end of this is mm-hmm. even in the hardest of hardest times, I always had a belief that everything happens for a reason and you never know at the time that eventually you do the support comes, life changes, everything's temporary. Um, but there's always a reason why you're going through the hardest of hard times at the time that you do it. And for me, now I'm a relationship coach for people who have special needs children because I know exactly what that's like. You mm. will find your thing. So if you're in the hard times right now, know that they won't last forever. And for whatever reason, you're going through this, but you will know one day.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Whew. That was a lot, right? Oh, my gosh. I am so glad that she is here to share her story um and that she's still here even when she wanted to give up and had all those thoughts um and she's still here and I am also grateful that Rach just shared the ins and the outs the thoughts and the feelings and what her children were going through um and the lengths that she had to go to really get an answer So hopefully that is helpful for you, whether it's you um, who um, has a child who is neurodiverse or yourself, um, you may be dealing with that or a family member or, you know, a close friend. So I hope that was helpful. I know I personally have a friend who has a neurodiverse household and it can be very challenging. It could be very challenging. So couple of things I'm taking away. The first is the stages of burnout. Did you know about that? Oof. Um, And it just makes me think about, you know, when she was talking about how her brain and what it does and really just how much the brain protects us when we are tired, when we're running low and, you know, it shuts down. It's not a shutdown to be like, hey, you're bad. It's really a shutdown in terms of protection. So those stages of burnout were very helpful. The other thing is the power of being heard, you know, that that doctor at the last hospital actually sat down and listened to the whole history to help put all the pieces together and how relieved both Rach and her mom felt that they had that space. And... Sometimes we don't need to be fixed. Sometimes we don't want to hear a a fix or advice. We just want to be heard and how powerful that can be. Um, And then again, as I always kind of mention, she mentioned community and having those people you can trust, having those people to support you, having those people, even if it's the smallest thing, just having that support. So those are my takeaways. Um. Thank you as always for, for listening to the show. If you were definitely inspired, please let Rach know, give her your thanks, shower her with love and tag us on the podcast. Tag me here on the podcast, right? If you're sharing, um, share it with your friends, like I always say with your tribe and in your group, because if you're spy- inspired, someone else will be. And that's how The word gets out more and more about the podcast the more that you share so thank you so much for tuning in i really appreciate you being here were you inspired by this story here are some ways you can shower me and the podcast with your appreciation and support follow rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform share the podcast via text with your people with your tribe subscribe to the newsletter where i share my personal stories of discovering the beauty within the mess and lastly follow me on instagram at authentically for tips and insights on overcoming perfectionism so you can embrace your imperfections and authentically be you thank you so much for listening to the it didn't break me podcast and remember to discover the beauty within the mess